0: It was like a struggle of my logic interfering with my fear and emotions.
1: I wanted to believe it so badly.
0: All my life and like my family's belief and whatnot and like, could this be wrong? The
1: foundations were crumbling.
0: It started shattering little by little.
1: I was so sad.
0: I freaked out.
2: My name's Clara and this is Sandstone. Sandstone is a storytelling podcast that seeks to understand the nuanced worlds of Arabia and Appalachia and the people that call these places home. Today we'll continue with our theme, Islam, a religion of 1.8 billion people and the fastest growing religion in the world. We've already met devout Muslims, Kip, Andrew, and Kaffa, so to balance things out, we'll hear from Muhammad, an ex-Muslim, and for a double-whammy kinder surprise, in the second half of the episode, we'll hear a story that's strangely parallel to Muhammad's spiritual journey, a story that took place here in West Virginia. It's the story of my sister. But first, Muhammad. Muhammad. Now his name isn't really Muhammad, but for the purpose of confidentiality, we decided to call him by a different name. I personally was going for something a little more edgy. Something like Frodo or Barney. Maybe Guadalupe. I thought Guadalupe would be so cute. <laughs> but in the interests of credibility, we settled on Mohammed. I don't
0: know why
2: you said did you say that? No, you made
0: that up. <laughs> and I said, well, hello.
2: I'm his mom says hi. Everyone say, hey, Muhammad's mom. Muhammad was born in Jordan, and that's where I met him. But when he was just a mere babe, he and his family flew over the ocean and through the woods to none other than
1: uh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain.
0: Sometimes when I ask him, like, Dad, why? Why Oklahoma? Like, out of all the states?
2: His dad had accepted a teaching job there, and Muhammad would spend his early childhood on the Oklahoma plains, yodeling to the wind. Or at least that's how I imagine it. Muhammad's family is devoutly Muslim, and they were an active part of the small Muslim community in Oklahoma.
0: A lot of my social life was tied to The Islamic Society Center, which is the mosque in my town.
2: And even as a kid, Muhammad took his religious identity very seriously.
0: Even more so than the fact that I'm Jordanian, I would always want to represent the idea that I'm
2: Muslim. They moved back to Jordan when he was 11, and he was surprised by the reality of his homeland. And it wasn't like a fun surprise. It was the bad kind.
0: up in America, all I know is that my family is from this place called Jordan. So then I had this image in my mind that it was like this great place, and I was excited to go there. So I'm like this little innocent 11-year-old, like, thinking that when I go there, like, oh, you're Jordanian? I'm Jordanian. Hey, man, this is great,
1: man. Like, what's up?
2: Jordan is a Muslim country, so Muhammad assumed that his fellow Jordanians would be as devout and faithful as he was.
0: When I came to Jordan, people who met them, the cousins of mine, don't pray five times a day, for example. But then I would, I was like a disciplined little kid that would always follow the rules, so it would shock me. That was one of the biggest shocks.
2: And little Muhammad was disappointed in what he found.
0: I was in the States living amongst the non-believers, you know what I mean? I would pray in the library, and they would be like, what is this guy doing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a Muslim. God is watching me, and he's happy right now, you know? But then when I came here, it's like, my cousins don't pray and don't care about religion because it's like, it's like their whole life, and it has no more value.
2: But despite this rude awakening, Muhammad continued to represent the religion that he knew to be true.
0: Of course, growing up in a Muslim family, naturally, what I was brought up with to be the truth was Islam. So I followed that and tried to be like the best Muslim I can be and whatnot. But then in my early 20s, I worked with the U.S. Peace Corps and lived and worked closely with Americans for three months. Again, I said I always like to represent what I believe in. So then um, I would like, like to start debates with my friends about religion or about sensitive topics. When I started debating people about, like for example, men's rights and women's rights and like, equality, that was like the trigger that made me start questioning religion, which was like, around six years ago or five years ago.
2: Gender inequality is a source of contention among many Muslims. In our last episode, Imam Kip explained how inequality in Islam is just a misunderstanding. But for Muhammad, it was a deal breaker.
0: When I started working and meeting with like, men and women from the United States, I just started seeing the flaws in my arguments personally. So like, yeah, the religious teachings in the Quran did not act, like, make sense to me anymore. Like, I, I didn't only have in my mind logic and teachings. It was also, like, this belief of this God and an afterlife and a heaven and hell. You know what I mean? And that, like, keeps you in check always. So that was the struggle. It was, like, a struggle of, like, my logic interfering with my fear and emotions all my life and, like, my family's belief and whatnot. And, like, could this be wrong? It's so difficult. But then the more and more I started thinking about it and digging deep, I started, like, looking at my whole existence in a different perspective and then yeah finally like maybe after a year or two i openly like started telling people of course I selected a I selective few because people can be sensitive about this topic
2: people can be very sensitive it's not like a, hey mom and dad i'm an atheist now and they're like right on you do you bro depending on the country and cultural norms apostasy is a serious deal like your family might disown you, or your government might sentence you to death.
0: You have to also understand that Islam isn't this, like, ultimately harmless thing. For some reason, people that probably don't know how to speak any Arabic at all confidently would come up to you and say, Islam is the religion of peace, Islam means peace. No, bro, Islam means submission. And it means to submit to God and whatever God says.
2: We hear this all the time. Islam is the religion of peace. But we hear the opposite, too. Islam is evil. Islam is terror. So which is it?
0: One extreme, let's say, in the States or the West, is that they hate Islam, right? And then another extreme that is as blind, in my opinion, sometimes, some people, I realize, they try to be so liberal that they are blind to anything negative and over-apologetic about things without even knowing any facts about it. And then they could get fooled actually, that's the funny part.
2: As a non-Muslim trying to understand Islam, it can be very confusing. And it's easy to fall into one of these extremes. I definitely have. But Islam is such a complex package. To him it's justice, and to her it's injustice. To them it's suffering, and to them it's healing. And to us, maybe it's not up to us. Maybe it's just our job to listen. Muhammad left Islam and hasn't gone back. And the first time he shared this experience with me, I couldn't help but feel that I had heard this story before. Of course, the details were a little off. The main characters had different names, Jesus and Allah, the settings weren't exactly the same. It was a small town in Jordan and the West Virginia countryside. But the plot? The plot is strangely parallel. Okay, um... Okay, so what should we talk about? Just, mm-hmm. like, just like, talk. I'm just like, chat. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my sister. <laughs> oh, you didn't come up with a fake name. So just for kicks, and partly for her confidentiality, we are also going to call said sister by a different name. She shall be called Emma. I know it's boring, but it just makes more sense than my other proposed options, which were Frida, Jasper, or Ziggy. Emma accepted Jesus into her heart when she was just six years old. She was watching an exceptionally moving episode of VeggieTales and felt it was time to take her spirituality to the next level. Yeah, I
1: was six. I took things very seriously (laughs) from the womb, yes. (sighs) I don't remember it as being like this big step because I think it was just like, yeah, this is what's expected of
2: you. If I'm not mistaken, this storyline is beginning to sound familiar.
0: Of course, growing up in a Muslim family, Naturally, what I was brought up with to be the truth was Islam. And
1: I felt proud to be doing
2: what I should be doing.
0: So I followed that and tried to be like the best Muslim I can be and whatnot.
2: As a kid, Emma's Christian family, church, and school consistently reaffirmed her beliefs.
0: A lot of my social life was tied to the Islamic society center.
2: Yeah, if there
1: was going to be a youth group event, we were going to be there because we loved it and we loved God.
2: Emma became even more committed to her faith in high school and she felt called to share her faith with others.
0: Again, I said I always like to represent what I believe in.
2: So in the summer of her sophomore year, she participated in a three-week street evangelism program in Philadelphia. This was a game changer. So this was a very evangelical group,
1: obviously, and they had some Pentecostal beliefs as well. And one of the pretty pervasive beliefs was that it was really important to speak in tongues
2: anytime you could in order to communicate with God. Now, this was something that Emma had never experienced, and she wasn't even sure if it was possible. One
1: night, I was like standing up front worshiping, and this leader came over and she Put her hands on me, on my shoulder, and she said that she felt like God was telling her that tonight I was gonna speak in tongues for the first time. She started praying over me, and suddenly I started speaking in tongues, and it was super weird. It's hard to describe that experience, but it was, it felt like the realest thing I've ever, ever experienced. I remember my hands started shaking and.
2: You didn't tell me you were going to do that.
1: I felt like in that moment, like all of my doubting was going to end because I had this experience with God that nobody could take away from me because I knew that whatever was happening wasn't natural. It wasn't something that I had ever really experienced before until I got to that place. And suddenly it just came out of me from like the depths of my soul. And I just like fell to my face and worship God and it was amazing. And I, I remember, I still have the journal entry from that night because I wanted to remember what that felt like to just like know without a doubt that this was true because it was something that I'd been yearning for. So after going home I I remember sitting kneeling beside my bed at night for a while trying to have that communion with with God and the Holy Spirit again and I couldn't I prayed so hard that I'd be able to and it never came back and that led me to do a little bit of research on speaking in tongues, and I read some things about how like, um, in like, secular tribes around the world, people will speak in tongues, and they're totally unrelated to the Jesus and God that I
2: worshipped. Emma never spoke in tongues again, and although she largely dismissed this experience, she held on to her faith,
1: I went to college and I immediately joined four Bible studies because, again, that was my w- way of relating
2: to people. That's like what I knew and that's the language that I spoke. Emma was a leader in the Christian campus community. She was an active participant in her four Bible studies and even established her own women's group. But despite these efforts, certain doubts kept resurfacing. I had a couple
1: of experiences, like Clara's friend, Kaffa, would come over to our home and she would roll out her prayer rug and she'd pray in our home.
2: And our plots converge yet again.
0: When I started working and meeting with, like, men and women from the United States, I just started seeing the flaws in my arguments personally.
1: She was a Muslim woman and was also, like, so, so kind and lovely and imagining her in hell because she wasn't a christian was something that i kind of kept coming back to
0: so like yeah the religious teachings in the quran did not act, like make sense to me anymore
1: and imagining people like her that
2: were just awesome people being punished eternally was really hard for me to swallow these sorts of uncertainties and doubts kept weighing on emma She eventually stepped down from leadership roles in the Christian community. It felt really
1: uncomfortable because I felt like they were all looking to me to be a leader and I couldn't be that anymore. But I also couldn't be inauthentic anymore. That led to just a really, really hard time in my life where I felt like the foundations that I had built my life upon were crumbling super fast.
0: So then like, it started shattering little by
1: little. Suddenly I couldn't relate to other Christians and I couldn't relate to non-Christians cause I'd spent my whole life hanging out with only other Christians pretty much. And so I felt very like placeless. So there was about a year of like sadness. It was just like, I wasn't really bitter towards God or Christianity or the way that I was raised. It was just, I was so sad. Because I wanted to believe it so
2: badly. And I didn't know what my life would look like without it. Certain faith communities call for estrangement when a member leaves the faith. But even if you aren't physically estranged from family and loved ones, it can sometimes feel that way. And it takes time for that hurt to heal.
0: Yeah, it's more or less kind of strict in a family setting to like practice, for example, fasting or praying or whatnot. But I'd like to be the only person that doesn't participate in them.
1: I remember talking to my dad, we were sitting at a campfire, just the two of us, and I just started sobbing and told him that I didn't think that I could believe anymore, and he didn't really offer me much advice, I don't think, he just kind of, like, listened, and that was really nice for me. And that kind of opened up our relationship. It it definitely deepened our bond, because I didn't feel like I had a secret to keep from him anymore.
0: Um, Even though we did have our rough times at some parts, but now they understand that, like, I I actually believe in this, it's not like a phase.
1: And I think that this little part of me my whole life that had wanted to please my parents and please my church and please everybody, by being this perfect Christian girl, I was a freed up a little bit more because I knew that my parents would accept me even if I didn't have the same beliefs that they had.
0: Yeah, we look beyond the belief and then like we just treat each other like a family
2: As the hurt healed, Emma traveled and met people from different cultures and backgrounds. She found new community and felt a freedom that she had never experienced before. Since suddenly I didn't have that same agenda that I used to have,
1: where I wanted to approach every conversation with someone as a chance to like show them Jesus, suddenly I began to learn more about them and their stories and... I realized that I didn't have all the answers and they had some answers for me.
0: Everyone you will ever meet knows something that you don't.
1: It was just like a whole new level of relationship building. After I got over that that first initial phase of heartbreak, it was really freeing.
0: I started like looking at my whole existence in a different perspective.
1: I never thought that I could have this type of Life and happiness and freedom outside of the faith. I thought that was like only something that Christians experienced.
2: Leaving your faith is like a really bad breakup. And you're not only breaking up with your God, you're breaking up with your family, your culture, your identity, your way of life, all at the same time. I went through this once upon a time. I can't disclose how long ago, lest I give away my age. My story isn't as dramatic as Muhammad's or Emma's, but I get it, and I know how hard it is to share these deeply personal things, and how important it is that we have these conversations. What? What? I want to tell you about a dream. (laughs) Okay. I just want to keep talking and (laughs) talking. This is what happens when you give people microphones. They're like... And then let me, just let me, just one more story. <laughs> anything else that you want to talk about? Anything else. Anything about? on your heart that you need to express? Your inspirations, oh, your ambitions, your life inhibitions. I don't know anything else that rhymes with that.
0: My intuitions. Your
2: intuitions, thank you. Both Muhammad and Emma are silly people, but these things are serious.
0: I'm going to be honest with you. Like, these are, like, sensitive topics, and people have to, like, do a lot of research and, like, reading and, like, need to be open. I can't give answers, you know what I mean? Like, it's such a big topic, and I can't claim to, like, be the ambassador for this kind of stuff, you know what I mean?
2: Religion is not one size fits all. It comes in many shapes and sizes, and sometimes it doesn't fit at all. Many Muslims would probably disagree with Muhammad, as many Christians might disagree with Emma. But I think that's the best thing about stories. Because you can't deny someone the authenticity of their own personal experience. Because that's their truth. And it's just as valid as yours. This project is supported in part by the Honors College at West Virginia University and the Critical Language Scholarship Alumni Development Fund. The Critical Language Scholarship is sponsored by the U.S. Department of State with funding provided by the U.S. government. Thank you for listening.